Hello, and welcome to the Homeschool Sanity Show, your prescription for happier, healthier homeschooling. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Wilson, Christian psychologist turned homeschooling mother of six. Let's get started. Hey, homeschoolers. This is going to seem like a weird way to start a new year, but I am recommitted to my mission on this podcast of promoting happy, healthy homeschooling. I spoke with a family recently whose presenting problem was child misbehavior. What became obvious, however, is that the mother's depression was leading to marital and parenting problems. So that's why I wanna talk about depression and the homeschooling mom. Depression puts our homeschools at risk. We know that children of depressed mothers don't develop as well academically, emotionally, or socially. We also know that depression is a significant problem and that predates the pandemic. Depression affects one in 10 adults per year and it is the leading cause of disability. If something is going to interfere with having a productive homeschool, depression is a likely candidate. Well, let's talk about what causes depression. First, we know that depression can be genetic. If you have a parent who was depressed or bipolar, you are at a higher risk of experiencing depression yourself. Being postpartum can lead to depression, especially in people who have a history of depression prior to becoming pregnant. And I can tell you from experience that hormones can contribute to depression. I have had an increased difficulty with PMS as I am in the perimenopausal stage. There are multiple medical conditions that can cause depression. They mimic depression. So one of those would be multiple sclerosis. Many people who are diagnosed with MS are initially thought to have depression because that is a primary presenting symptom. Alcohol and drug abuse can also contribute to depression. We know alcohol is a depressant. Other drugs that are used recreationally can at least make depression worse. So we want to look at what our alcohol and drug use looks like, but not just recreational drugs, but also prescription medications may have a side effect of depression. And it's important for us to pay attention to medications or supplements that we are taking. And then finally, trauma or extended grief can contribute to depression. I did an episode recently on trauma and how that may be affecting us in a post-pandemic world. But grief that is extended and not dealt with very well, just because the person doesn't have very good resources, they were already 
possibly depleted emotionally before they experienced grief um, can contribute to depression. Grief is not depression, but extended grief that is not being managed effectively and is interfering with daily living for an extended period of time can contribute to depression. Well, I'm sure you know what some of the symptoms of depression are, but I wanted to review them anyway, because when we are experiencing depression, these symptoms may really escape our notice and we don't add them up. So the first one, which is the most obvious one, is feelings of sadness. But these are feelings of sadness that just won't go away. It isn't that we feel sad a day or two and then we get back to normal. It's just that we feel so sad and we may not even know why. And things don't improve after several uh, days or weeks when they normally would. This is a huge one, and that is loss of interest in activities that you used to enjoy. So you might not necessarily feel sad, per se, or be crying, but you just have no interest in doing the things that you used to love to do. Cooking, going to a Bible study, um, reading, if that's something that you like to do going for walks, talking with your spouse or friends. You just don't care anymore. And that is a classic symptom of depression that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Fatigue. Now, of course, fatigue is such a common symptom of so many disorders. But when it goes hand in hand with a feeling of sadness or a complete like loss of interest in things, we start to pay attention to fatigue as a symptom of depression. Next, it seems like an opposite symptom, but irritability and difficulty concentrating are symptoms of depression as well. You may just be so disinterested and fatigued that when people talk to you, ask you for things, expect you to do the usual activities, you just lose it because you are very irritable. You, If you have symptoms of ADHD, then they may get much worse, or you may have the, that symptom for the very first time. Next, and this is something that people don't necessarily think about when it comes to depression, and that is anxiety. Anxiety tends to go hand in hand with depression. I mean, if you are just not able to get yourself to do the things that you know that you need to do, you might stop paying the bills. You might stop planning the meals. You might forget to turn in permission slips or take the kids to their appointments. And that is going to contribute to anxiety. But there may be a biochemical issue happening that is contributing both to the depression and the anxiety. Next, a symptom of depression is eating too much or eating too little. And similarly, you may be sleeping too much or sleeping too little. You may be waking up 
and being unable to get back to sleep, or you may struggle to get to sleep in the first place. So it can be challenging because we can have either extreme happening with our eating or sleep, but if you add it together with the other symptoms that I've discussed and you're experiencing either of these extremes, then it's likely a symptom of depression. You may be experiencing headaches or other pains. We know that pain is cyclical with depression. When we get depressed, we may experience pain for the first time. But experiencing chronic pain can also lead to depression. So pain needs to be addressed, not just on its own, but also as a contributor to or symptom of depression. And then finally, and this is the symptom that is the most concerning to me as a psychologist when I'm listening to someone talk about how they feel, that is feelings of hopelessness and worthlessness And at its most extreme, when you do not have hope and you do not feel that your life is worthwhile, this is when you begin thinking suicidal type thoughts. And the thoughts don't have to be active to be concern, a concern. So if you spend time thinking about how your family would be better off without you, how your life would be better if it was just over, even if you are not planning on harming yourself, then that is a very serious symptom of depression. Okay, so that is a not very encouraging list of symptoms, but it is so important that we evaluate this in ourselves and in people we love when there is any thought that depression could be an issue. Next, I want to talk about why depression is a particular problem for homeschooling moms. The first one is an obvious one to me as a homeschooling mom. I think if you are not a homeschooling mom, you would not understand this. But the fear is that in confessing symptoms of depression that your children could be taken out of your home, out of your homeschool and put in school because you are found unfit to homeschool them. And this is an understandable fear, but when we truly are dealing with depression, we have to put our children first because it does put our kids at risk. Our kids, if they are living with a depressed mom, a depressed homeschool mom, are not going to have a normal education or family life. And so we have to put them first. And I'm going to talk about how can we get help for depression without putting our homeschool at risk. The other reason I think depression can be a particular problem for homeschooling moms is because we can be confused about what depression means when you're a Christian. 
unfortunately, there is this notion that if we truly believe in Jesus and love God and follow God and are in the word and in prayer, that we will not have depression, that depression is a symptom of weakness and faith. And this simply is not true, but we can believe that it is true. And so whatever beliefs you have about that, I would ask you to put those beliefs aside as we talk about what some options are for treatment. Certainly, if we are not trusting God and we are not going to church and we are not reading our Bibles and spending time in prayer, or if we are knowingly living in sin, these things can contribute to depression. But admitting that we are struggling uh, with symptoms of depression is actually a very strong move of faith on our part. Um, I, I believe as a Christian psychologist that God would want us and does want us to confess when we are struggling and to get help that is available. So I mentioned already why we must take action for depression because our kids, our families are at risk. Our homeschools are at risk. If we become so deeply depressed that we cannot function, then our kids are going to be put into school, and rightly so. Our marriage may begin to fall apart if it hasn't already. But there is an even bigger reason why we have to take action for depression. And that is because depression is a dangerous illness. It can deteriorate to the point where physically we are unable to function. We just stay in bed. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, we can become disabled by our depression. And the longer it goes on, the worse it can be. And of course, we are at risk of having suicidal ideation and potentially even attempting to take our own lives because our brain chemistry and our thinking are so disturbed that this seems like a reasonable course of action. And you should not tell yourself that, oh, I would never do that. You don't know if you would do that because when our brain isn't functioning correctly, we can decide that suicide makes a whole lot of sense. So we have to take action when we are depressed, even if it's a mild depression, you should take action because it could get worse. Okay, so next, let's talk about whether or not you can treat depression yourself. If that sounds good to you, I can relate to you because I'm a DIY girl. I think most homeschooling moms are. We like to handle things ourselves. And I am going to encourage you to just go with that, with that desire to try to treat your depression yourself. But I 
have a caveat for that at the end of this episode. But let's begin with what you can do, what you can try as far as treating depression yourself. There are certainly some supplements that you can take to try to balance your uh, brain chemistry and get yourself feeling better, but I am not going to discuss those because that is not my area of expertise. I will just tell you that even supplements can have side effects, so just be aware of that. And if you are taking any medications, your pharmacist and or doctor should know because there can be some very serious um, side effects from taking two different supplements or medications, okay? So the first thing that I want to recommend to you if you want to try treating your depression yourself is the book Feeling Good by Dr. David Burns. This is really the Bible of what's called cognitive behavioral therapy. If you're not familiar with CBT for short, it is the concept which has been born out of lots and lots of research as being valid that and and it is biblical as well, but it is the concept that what we think affects how we feel, which in turn affects our behavior. So what we have learned, which is really quite something, and like I said, the Bible says that this is true as well. If we change the way that we think, we can change the way that we feel and even change our brain chemistry by changing the way that we think. It's really remarkable. So we start by changing the thinking, which will change the way that we feel, which will in turn change the way that we behave. So if I think to myself for whatever reason, whether, you know, no matter how this kind of thinking got started, that's another topic in and of itself. But if I think I am a horrible mother, that thought, especially if I don't immediately dismiss it and counteract it, and I instead ruminate on it, what a terrible mother I am, I will start to feel very sad, very down, very low. And as I begin to feel that way, I will just lie on the couch and maybe watch something depressing on social media. And it can become then one of those vicious cycles we talked about. So not only do I think that I'm a terrible mom and I feel bad about it, but now I am not doing anything I'm maybe ignoring my kids when they're asking for help with their homework. And so that leads me to think, you see, I am a terrible mom. Now I feel worse. And now I do something else to prove to myself that I'm a terrible mother. So cognitive behavior therapy, behavioral therapy, is used to interrupt that vicious cycle 
at the thought level. So we begin to challenge that thought. Is it really true that you're a terrible mother? Okay, well, let's let's look at the evidence that refutes that. You are not a terrible mother. You have been um, homeschooling your kids, taking care of your kids, loving your kids. Your kids adore you. Your husband adores you. Um, and you, what is actually true is that you have had a setback of some sort. Maybe, maybe you had a health crisis that has been difficult for you to deal with. Maybe some other very difficult circumstance came up and you had a challenging time dealing with that. But does that make you a bad mother? Um, well, let's say let's say it was true <laughs> that you have been a bad mother. Does it serve you or your family to think that and ruminate on that? No, no, of course not. Because the fact is, the truth is that you can turn things around right now. So we want to challenge those negative thoughts, those lies that we can believe that can lead to depression. Okay, so the Feeling Good book by Dr. David Burns, excellent, excellent book. And it will help you work through the concepts of cognitive behavioral therapy on your own. It can also work incredibly well as you work with a therapist, but I'm gonna get to that in a moment. First, I wanna talk about some other things that you can do if you want to try treating your depression yourself. The next thing that you need to do is you need to engage in activities that used to bring you pleasure. Not like uh, amazing elation, but just general pleasure. So if you used to go for walks, then go for walks. If you used to love building a fire and sitting in front of the fire and just sitting and listening to music while you watch the flames, then do that. Whatever it was, no matter how mild it seems or unimportant it seems, you have to force yourself to do those previously enjoyed activities. Why? Because we know that even when someone is being forced to and doesn't feel motivated to do those things, that our thoughts and our emotions and our brain chemistry and then eventually our behavior will be positively affected by doing those pleasant activities. If you are struggling to come up with even a list of things that you used to do, I encourage you to talk with friends and family members about things that you used to do. It could be the, the smallest of things. Like, well, I really like to, I used to really like to plan my homeschooling week. That used to bring me some, some happiness, okay? Well, let's do that again. And just as, just as with a medication that you don't like the taste of, maybe it's a horse pill and you don't want to swallow it, you do swallow it because you know 
It is going to treat your illness. Doing these types of activities is your medication. It is your big pill to swallow, but you must force yourself to do them. That is especially true if you're going to try to treat your depression yourself. Okay, then I don't think you're going to be surprised that the last category of activities that you can undertake to treat your own depression is to take care of your body physically. You can, in particular, begin exercising or return to exercising. We know that exercise releases endorphins. It's a natural antidepressant. And if you have not been exercising, you are going to likely experience the consequences of that. So in order to get you back on track with your brain chemistry, we have to get you exercising. It doesn't matter what form that exercise takes. It could be going for a walk with a friend or your spouse or your kids. It could be lifting weights. It could be taking a class. It could be swimming. It could be hard work, hard physical work. If you live on a farm and you have chores to do that are physically involved, absolutely that will count as physical exercise as well. But exercise has to be resumed or begun for the first time if you're going to treat your depression. And then along with that, you need to begin fueling your body. Just as if you were sick with a physical illness, you would not feed your body complete junk because it's going to make you feel worse. It's going to make your illness last longer. And so when it comes to depression, you need to fuel your body with good food. It doesn't have to be this extreme of good food. It doesn't have to be, oh, everything has to be raw and whole foods. No, it doesn't have to be, but neither should it be candy and fast food. So you need something that is going to give your body nutrition to heal and recover a healthy brain chemistry and energy, okay? So that is how you can can treat depression yourself. But what if that doesn't work? Or what if you're already past that point? What kind of professional help should you get for depression? The first thing that I want to discuss with you briefly is medication, antidepressant medication. These medications are not going to make you happy. That is one of the things that people don't understand about depression. The primary function of antidepressant medications is to support you physically so that you can get the sleep that you need, that your appetite will return if you have not been able to eat, and you will have more energy so that you can do the psychological treatment for depression. A medication is not, again, going to make you happy, uh, no matter how much you might want it to. And An antidepressant medication is also not an instant fix. Typically, you could be waiting for four weeks 
to experience a significant benefit from the medication. And that's if you have the right medication and the right dose. It requires working with a doctor or a psychiatrist to find that right medication to get you back on track. And so you might think, well, four weeks, and I mean, all it does is just help me feel better physically. That's correct. So if you have a mild depression, you probably don't need an antidepressant. If you have a severe depression that is causing dysfunction in your daily life, then taking an antidepressant is a very good idea. But obviously, that would have to be undertaken with your doctor. Again, looking at your health history and other medications that you are taking. Okay, professional help. You're not going to be surprised to hear that if you want mental help from a professional, that I recommend that you see a cognitive behavioral therapist. Why? Because it works. It's proven to work. It's highly effective. It is completely consistent with a biblical worldview as well. So what I would suggest that you do is look for a therapist who is listed as a cognitive behavioral therapist online. If there is no mention made made of the type of therapy that this person does, then call the office and ask and say, I'm looking for a cognitive behavioral therapist for depression. Of late, there has been a real explosion, which I think is excellent, especially for homeschooling moms, a real explosion of online therapists. Again, I would look for a cognitive behavioral therapist. There is only one reason that I can think of for depression that I would recommend seeking out specifically more general Christian counseling for depression where that counselor isn't necessarily experienced in doing cognitive behavioral therapy. And that would be if you have some kind of a spiritual issue that you know is contributing to the depression. You have, you were spiritually abused as a child. You went to a very legalistic church and that has contributed to your depression. Um, you are experiencing complicated grief and you need a Christian counselor to help you work through that grief. Then I could see, and I'm sure that there are many other situations, but those are a few situations where I would say, okay, it makes sense for you to seek out a Christian counselor in particular. Just because someone is a cognitive behavioral therapist doesn't mean that they aren't Christian, but it's more difficult to find people who have both of those characteristics. How can you find a Christian counselor? My best advice is to ask your pastor, or if you don't want your pastor to know, then find a sizable church in your area and call them and ask who they refer to for therapy uh, for depression. And understand that when you seek out a professional to work with, 
it can take time to find a good fit. It doesn't mean that no one can help you. It just means that doing therapy is a very personal relationship. It's very, um, it's very specific to you and the difficulty that you're having right now. So it makes sense that not just any therapist is going to be a good fit for you. Okay, I know we have covered a lot of ground here today, but I think it is so, so important. My heart is really that if you are experiencing depression or if someone you love is experiencing depression as a homeschooling mom or even not as a homeschooling mom, that they would experience healing because depression is so, so painful so very painful. So my action step for you today is if you want to try doing do-it-yourself treatment for depression, set a deadline with your spouse or with someone else you can trust who is going to help hold you accountable by which you must have experienced improvement or you will get professional help. So this is not just going to go on forever and ever, but you will commit to seeking professional help if you have not been committed to doing your cognitive behavioral therapy, getting exercise, getting proper nutrition, and pushing yourself to do pleasant activities, okay? If someone you care about is depressed and it's not you, send them this episode, encourage them to listen to it, even if they're not a homeschooling mom. And then if you're still seeing problems, you're still seeing depression, then gather supportive family members. And by supportive family members, I mean, these are people who are not judgmental, who are not going to be, you know, placing blame and uh, creating drama around this, but they're They're healthy people and very supportive people and gather these family members and friends and have a referral or or more available for your loved one and say, this is what we want you to do because we love you so much. And we know that you can't see how bad this is, but we can. And we will do whatever we have to do to help you take this brave first step. So that might be offering to homeschool the kids so that, um, you know, there is no fear on this mom's part that her kids could be taken away from her during this uh, treatment. Offer practical support. You might want to offer to make meals or provide transportation and that kind of thing. And then, of course, you want to begin and end with prayer. And that's where I am ending today. I don't practice as a psychologist anymore, so I cannot see you for therapy or see your loved one for therapy. But what I am doing is I am praying for you. And I'm praying that this episode has been helpful to you and will help you to move forward in this coming year. And if it has been helpful to you, I would love to hear about it. 
I want to know that I am on the right track with doing what God has called me to do for homeschooling moms. Have a happy homeschool week. Thank you for joining me. Happy, healthy homeschooling can be yours. It begins with one small step. Let's continue the conversation on social media. I'm at Psycho with Six. This has been a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.